What's up, everyone? Welcome back. We are on lucky number episode 30 and got my guy Johan back in town fresh off of Brazil and Sedona. So I imagine you are prime and ready to get in the weeds. First off, thank you for making time coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on getting to episode 30. That's Thanks, big, man. man. We're doing it together. So awesome. awesome. I got a ton of, uh, ton of stuff to talk to you about. I did dig a little bit into your history, which is you have a lot. Um, and our good friend Artem, shout out to Artem for setting this up. Gave me some crib notes as well, nice. some background. Um, so I'm excited, man. Uh, I'm sure you've watched some of our episodes. You know, I think it's always important starting where we always go to. And, and if I could put this in, in your book, going back to chapter one, is uh, I think I haven't found any info on that. So I'm really excited to start back on chapter one. Um, I think you mentioned something about Europe, growing up in Europe and that area, which is uh, unique <coughs> for us on this show. So take us back. Sure. Uh, I was born and raised in Sweden. Uh, my mom is American. My dad's Swedish. And uh, I came here to try high school for one year when I was 16. And the following year, I moved out on my own and uh, was still in high school and, and needed to pay rent. So the only job I could get was as a dishwasher. And that was how I entered the restaurant industry and uh, continued to work. Uh, funny, my first uh, job as a waiter was literally a block away from it. It used to be Juke Joint Cafe. No way. Uh, it's down here, uh, a block down. And um, I worked uh, as a waiter until I was 25, where I said to myself, All right, I got to figure something out here. I got to either um, come up with some plan on making the restaurant industry into a career or I'm going to completely get out of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to college or anything like that. Um, so I gave myself like a two, two and a half year ultimatum and I opened my first restaurant when I was 27. And in October 2008, which is arguably the worst and best time, <laughs> I think, yeah, to open yeah, a true. restaurant. Um, and uh, kind of went on from there. And that was that was by no means a success early. It took that a long is, time. That is crazy. So 16, you left Sweden, came here? Yeah. And it was it was just supposed to be on a short-term period or? Well, it was to try it out for a year. And I, I'd always wanted to move to the States, but kind of funny enough, I didn't like it at all when I first got here. Really? Um, I thought it was so materialistic. Mm. Um, I'm from a little bit of a smaller town in Northern Sweden. So when I came here, it seemed like uh, you know, you're, you're, you're judged more on the brand of jeans you wear than who you are as a person. And that's kind of what stood out to me the most in the beginning, but I, I, I wanted to just grind it out and, and sort of find my way in this countryside. So I wanted to stay. Was it always San Diego or did you, did you bounce? No, around? it was always San Diego. And, and looking back now, I feel like I just hit the city jackpot, you know, totally, knowing, yeah. knowing how great San Diego is. Um, but yeah, it's always been San Diego. So looking at the entire map of America, what drew you to in well, San Diego? Well, it was because my mom's from Southern California. And okay, we, cool. She happened to have some relatives. Uh, I think it was in the uh, Del Cerro area, so we were able to stay at their house for the first year. So that's that was just by default because we, we had relatives, yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So describe your experience because I did about the same term. I worked through college at about 18, started in restaurants, and worked through college and just after college, serving tables, bartending. Yeah. What was your experience being direct front of the line? And I mean, you were even back house, 
So back house, front of house, what was your experience that you gained from there? Because I'm sure a lot of that, which is crazy to, for some people to think, applies to owning and operating and starting. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway for me is it's probably what's kind of shaped the culture of, of our organization is I never actually cooked mm-hmm. and I can't go in and, and, and cook the menus at the different restaurants we have, which has, has really made me, if I go back to a number of years before we had you know proper recipes and so forth, meaning if, if somebody just walked out, I couldn't go back in there and say, um, you know, I'll, I'll just handle it myself, which a lot of you know, early on entrepreneurs, it's kind of, it's my way or the highway. I can totally. do it better than everybody. And knowing that that's not uh, an option for me, I have to shape a good culture where people actually wanted to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to treat people with respect and you have to uh, do all that. And that kind of shaped the company um, for, for me because I didn't have the ability to work all the positions, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I saw in, especially one of the online <clears throat> interviews I saw um, done with you, they they used or they called you a chef. Do you prefer being called a chef, or where do you fall in the no, line? No, that's of, a total misconception. I'm not a chef. I've never been a <laughs> chef. That that's they, they for some reason do that, but I'm I'm not a chef. So if you if uh, worst case scenario, someone said, hey, you got to go in the back of the house. We got no one back there. You're in you're in you're in no man's land. Or can you can you pull it together? I mean, no, I'm not I'm not going to do that because we we have such high standards on execution of things so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be pretty silly of me to pretend that I could go back and do it when we help hold everybody else to these high standards so okay well that's good yeah. to know because when I read that I'm like oh man I was taking a totally different approach here he's yeah, got nah. he's got culinary so that's that's good to know but I am curious about at 25 when you gave yourself the deadline is first off what was it what what was the moment that you said I have to either it kind of sounds like a shit or get off the pot moment that you had what was it and what held you because the hardest person to hold accountable most of the time is ourselves. Mm -hmm. So what made you hold yourself accountable to that timeline? Well, one, it was, I think, just the dream of always being able to, you know, like not answer to somebody and Mm -hmm. work for yourself and knowing that I just, I I couldn't stand school. Mm -hmm. I was a terrible student and, you know, just, just even back then reading books and and about self-improvement and stuff like that. And, just really wanting to put your mind to something and seeing it through. And especially if you, if you look into tons of entrepreneurs, it's not necessarily about the talent and this and that, it's just about perseverance and sticking mm-hmm. to it. So, you know, I jokingly say it's half determination, half just plain stubbornness, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so, so fast forward to 2008, I actually had a partner in the beginning okay. who worked at that restaurant. He was the executive chef. So we started the first, this is Fig Tree and PB, which mm-hmm. is still there. Incredible uh, place. So he, we opened it together and we had both agreed we're gonna leave our jobs. And fast forward three months, we're out of money. It's not going well, we, our sales are in the toilet. And he comes to me and he's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take more hours at, at, at the restaurant. I'm like, what do you mean? Like the previous restaurant, yeah, we yeah. both left. He's like, no, 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 I, I stayed part time. As the whole a consul- time? Yeah, the whole time. Oh, man. As sort of a consultant. And I'm like, what, what? we were supposed to burn our ships. Like, we were going all in, <laughs> right? So I did, but he didn't. So then he left, and, and I was sort of stuck with a, a restaurant that had very low sales, you know, no, uh, nobody knew about it. Because back then, um, there was really not a lot of foot traffic on, you know, up in North PB. Yeah. Um, 
But I said, you know, I got to figure this out. So my girlfriend at the time, she is a she was a corporate recruiter, and they had just landed this account uh, at a pharmaceutical company. <clears throat> so. And what I'm getting at here is I needed to get a job to supplement my income. Mm. So it required a college degree. It required two years specific experience in what they called forensic accounting. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> I, can, I can figure this out. So, so we forged my resume totally. And she's, she was like the first person to verify people's background. So that's how I got past that hurdle. So all yeah. I had to do was go into this pharmaceutical company and nail the interview. So she prepped me on the questions and this and that, and I got the job somehow. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so the good thing for me in that position is I was a temp. So I didn't work for totally the pharmaceutical it. company. So they hired, there's 22 people who were hired and about nine months into it. And at this, you know, they had a really strong training program. So I was able to figure it out and, and stuff. And nine months into it, um, they sent send out this email to us saying, okay, we're going to actually hire on three out of the 22 people full time. So you get benefits, you get a raise, and you get to actually work for this pharmaceutical company. And everybody's like, oh my God, I hope it's me. I hope it's me. And I'm saying, please don't be me because <laughs> you're going to figure out that I'm a total fraud here. So fast forward a couple of weeks. What do you know? I'm one of the three people. No way. Yeah. So I get a call from HR. They're like, hey, congratulations on the promotion. It's just uh, it's a little odd. San Diego State University seems to have no record of you <laughs> ever graduating or going there. And I says, that's just really weird. Jeez, they, they, must be, they must be really disorganized over there, I said. And they said, well, just send us your diploma and stuff like that so we can just verify it. I said, okay. Oh, man. I, said, I just moved. So I got my stuff in boxes. So just give me a little time. I'm just trying to buy time because this is inevitable that like, it's yeah, not going to yeah. work out. So they keep bugging me every few weeks. And somehow they just... I don't know. I, maybe there was like a, so they switched some people in their HR department or something, but they just stopped bugging me for it. Oh my God. So I slipped through the cracks. So I'm, I'm basically here. I had reduced the hours of operations at Fig Tree to, I think it was Thursday through Sunday. So we're just open four days a week. Mm -hmm. And so I could run it on weekends and I could have somebody run it for me Thursday, Friday. And it was just survival mode. It was yeah, just, I, yeah. I just need to buy time to get through this. And the job was to pay the losses of the restaurant and my living expenses. And I kept doing this for a, a few years until I think around 2011 is when we first turned a profit. So it took me over three years to Holy do this song shit. and dance. And I would go there a lot of times at 5 a.m. in the morning and like sweep and clean up the restaurant and then go to the day job. Yeah, and yeah. Nobody, nobody could know that I had this restaurant, right? Yeah. So I told a few people, but I couldn't tell my superiors or anything like that. And then eventually when I, when I left, I came clean to them. And they, at that point, they just thought it was kind of funny and cool at the same time. But that, how well known is that story? Do people, a lot of people know that? I think so. I think I've told it quite a bit. And uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, to some extent, yeah. Because yeah. that, that definitely, like, if there's one word to describe that, there'd be a lot of funny words, but like survival yeah. for sure. And just, uh, I, I feel like that's, you telling that is the 100% epitome of this, the podcast is like you did whatever the fuck it took yeah. to keep it open. And people don't hear those stories because yeah. right now you look at Fig Tree and when you say that, like I look at Fig Tree as a raging success yeah. and I love the place. You would have never, no one would ever, ever know yeah. that that's and, what it took. You know, and I, I remember I even have these old spreadsheets where I go back and I think it was our second or third month. I look at what our sales were and we sold like $3,200 in the month 
or something oh like that. Oh my god. Which now is is like a horrendous Tuesday, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 interesting to look back and but to me, I mean, I'm I'm proud of it. And some people take it out of context, say, "Oh, you shouldn't have lied. You shouldn't have this." That's not the point. The point is like if you put your mind to something, you're going to do whatever it takes. And, and, and that's just what you have to do to make it. It's so hard to make it as an entrepreneur. You totally. Know? I think because this is really relevant to right now in, in 2020. Um, what I want to know is for those like two, three years that you were doing that, yeah. what kept you like, what kept the fire burning as far as like knowing that there was an end and light at the end of the tunnel? Um, because like you said, you know, you're, you're literally going to work another job just to pay for the losses yeah. of this one what were you telling yourself or what kind of practices or disciplines or what were you doing through that time period to be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm in survival mode, but I am going yeah. to get, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that it was easier that I didn't have my moments close to breaking. Um, but I think it goes back to, to just stubbornness and just saying, look, I don't have anything to fall back on. And if I do, I'm basically just give, give giving up my dream. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just, keep doing this forever and die trying. Cause as long as I kept trying, my dream was still alive. Totally. The minute I closed door, those doors, it was sort of symbolic internally for me about something bigger. Like mm-hmm. I would just be giving up on myself. And I think also what fueled me was the fact that a lot of people just said to me, look, it's okay. Nobody's going to think you're a failure. It, there's a recession. It's the biggest recession forever. So friends and family would tell me like, you're not like, stop killing yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was almost like an easy out, mm-hmm. but it, it, it internally for me, it was the complete opposite. Like I'm not that, that I'm not going to take that easy out. I'm going to, totally. I'm just going to keep pushing away and, and hopefully someday, you know, something will come of this. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you use the word failure because I was, I was describing this other day is people get asked all the time, what's your definition of success? What's your definition of failure? And I, I think failure can a lot, can heavily be defined by how you handle challenges. Mm -hmm. And you had a ton of challenges then that that very easily could have converted into a failure very easily. And nine out of 10 people probably would have taken the failure road versus like now looking back at it, it was just one gigantic challenge. Right. And now it eventually turned into success. But most people, and and that's the, the tough part about, owning a business, operating a business, is there isn't a fallback. Mm-hmm. There isn't a person to pawn that off on. You have to literally look for every other option or you do the opposite and you just, like you said, it's the easy route and you fail, yeah. you know? But that's an incredible story I was not expecting. So now I'm curious to know, 2011 you started turning a profit. Is that when you started looking to go beyond or, or move outside of, of the one location? Yeah, so then I opened the second location was Fig Tree and Hillcrest followed by uh, the fig tree in Liberty Station. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at that point, all three locations were doing good, but I kind of took a step back and sort of looked at the concept from an outsider standpoint. And f- from my perspective, it was, it was a little bit confusing. So it was Fig Tree Cafe, and we had two locations at that point that were open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and one that was only breakfast and lunch. Mm-hmm. And we had everything from, you know, pizza to salmon to salads to omelets to this and that. So it's just a little bit of everything. And in lieu of rebranding, I wanted to come up with something new. And I thought, one, there was a big shortage of breakfast restaurants, in particular like Mm -hmm. boozy breakfast restaurants in San Diego. And it seemed like San Diego had just a love for that. Like you go to most 
breakfast places, at least on a weekend, there generally is a line. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you looked at how many dinner restaurants they were versus breakfast restaurants, there's these many dinner restaurants and that many breakfast restaurants. So true. So my thought was, one was to try to just sort of stack the odds in my favor a little bit, and two, just fill that little void of what I thought was um, the void of a good breakfast, right? So, so hence came uh, a breakfast republic um, out of that. Definitely. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest things I was going to ask you, because obviously you've, you've made a, a name in the breakfast industry for sure. And I'll also preface it with you have a bunch of people at our company who are humongous fans. Nice. One of our, our marketing director lives uh, in the building, I forget the building above um, East Village, mm -hmm. the East Village location. So she's like probably your, your number one regular. Um, but I, I wanted to know like what attracted you to it. So it's, it's cool seeing you identified the void um, with it. So I guess what took you the pivoting point from the fig tree brand to Breakfast Republic? Yeah. Well, there's a few other voids too. I would say I also looked at, <clears throat> again, dinner restaurants. It seemed like people were putting all kinds of money and energy into these great designs. But if you looked at breakfast restaurants, it seemed like it was more or less all the same. Mm -hmm. Same plates, the same you know syrup dispensers, the same sugar, all this stuff. And I said, geez, you know, why doesn't somebody actually put some thought into design? And you know, Breakfast Republic was intended to be this whimsical kind of design where there's hidden puns and quotes yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And if you go in first, second, third, fourth time, ideally you, you discover something new every time. And um, I, I have this term that I use, I call it uh, functional design. Mm -hmm. So like you have, we have one of our walls is um, where we display all our merchandise, but it's mm -hmm. still a, a design wall. We have our egg chairs which people mm -hmm. can sit in while they're wait, but there's still also, you know, people take pictures of them all the time. Um, and our merchandise aspect of it is, or the branding, I should say, is the thought behind that is like we sell our hats for, I don't know, 12, 15 bucks or something like that, which, mm -hmm. and they're super high quality, whereas a lot of other places will sell them for 25. And the idea, like, it's not, uh, they're not there to make money. They're, they're there because it's, they're walking billboards, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. right now, you know, that's that's a rock, right? Yeah. yeah. So like you're doing him a great favor right now, which totally. is awesome because it's a great brand and so forth. That's what I look for. Cause I mean, nothing excites me more than when I go into, you know, Whole Foods or whatever, and I'm seeing somebody wearing a Hell breakfast yeah. public hat yeah. or something like that. And the other side of it is, you know, what's in people's houses. So we sell a thousands upon thousands of our coffee cups. Mm -hmm. 10 bucks each and, and, you know, people buy them because they're cool and so forth. Imagine then, like, in somebody's head, if, let's say you have a breakfast public coffee cup in your house and you have your in-laws or something like that in town and you guys are having coffee in the morning on Saturday and you're talking about, <coughs> where should we go to brunch tomorrow? Oh, for sure. My guess is that at least I have a better shot than most other places than mm -hmm. to, to, to have you at least discuss going to Breakfast Republic because I'm sitting in your cupboard, our brand, right? Oh, yeah. So that's the, that's the idea behind, like, our, our marketing is to not necessarily go the traditional route. Well, now it's non-existing, like, really, the, the mailers. But five, six years ago, that was still a big thing, you know, and, and trying to sp spend more money on the brand to make it cool and you want to actually buy it and take it home. That's the best representation than totally. some you know, unsolicited mailer in your mailbox. Well, you've kind of turned a, a breakfast brand, a brick and mortar into a lifestyle. By entering people's home, they drink their coffee, what they wear, yeah. it's now becoming part of their lifestyle without them knowing. And, and you're sending them subliminal messages all the time because <clears throat> when they go to refer that, 
they don't know it, but they're thinking about that coffee mug in there when they're referring where right. to go to breakfast. So I'm curious, what when you the first location, Breakfast Republic, mm. what was the fundamental difference from when you your first location starting Fig Tree? Or fundamental differences and changes. Obviously, you had more experience on yeah. your side, but what was going into that? What did you to avoid do to avoid going back to? I mean, I, 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 I'm not. I, I think people will say I knew nothing, but I literally knew nothing when I opened the first one. If mm. you would have told me, let me show you, show me your P and L, I would have said, "What's a P and L?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have said, "Oh, I, I'm working." Like I didn't. Even, I would not know what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think there's good and bad to that because there's <clears throat> if you go into a new venture, a new industry, knowing how hard it is, I think a lot of people just wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So being that naive, if you will. Like, at least I dove into it and, and, and then figured it out. Um, but back to your question, the differences were, I think Breakfast Republic, there was a, there was a calculated uh, design to the brand, to the concept. Like, totally. we, I wanted to have a lot of alcohol. <clears throat> I wanted to have patios that were big in front, and I wanted to not have this massive restaurant so that when we go on a wait, there's a lot of people up front. Like that's the best advertising. You drive by a restaurant, there's For 50 sure. people. There's gotta be something special about that place or something, right? For sure. So all these things were thought through, whereas with Fig Tree, it was just, I mean, my biggest, my biggest obstacle originally with Fig Tree was just to get a landlord to even believe in me to sign a lease. Mm-hmm. I had no money, I had no credit. Why would they ever give me a chance? So that was my biggest thing. And, I, I forged that credit report too, but that's a different story. <laughs> you know, that's it. Oh, that's great. Um, but so there was just some, a lot more thought behind it and, and, you know, taking what I'd seen and learned and also wanting to, I, I was talking about how Fig Chee was doing a little bit of everything. I thought it was kind of confusing to the general public. Well, with Breakfast Republic, the goal was, we're going to do breakfast and we're going to do breakfast only and we're going to be the best at it. We're mm-hmm. not going to sell sub, uh, like chicken club sandwiches. We're not going to sell salads. We'll leave that to the guys who do that. We're going to do breakfast and that's that. Love that. You know? I love that. So for the people, because I, I don't want to just trip up on when you said you, you knew nothing going into it because I feel like there's a lot of people out there who know nothing about whatever project or business they want to get into. Um, what is your, like, what, what's your advice to, to someone there? Because for me, I think a lot of people just... You know, they see this long marathon of a race and they don't ever get the first step off the, sure. of the starting line. Mm-hmm. So for that, the, the person who might be listening or watching who has zero experience, you know, is it I, I don't I'm not suggesting this is your answer, but is it like go to school, get getting like what would you say to that person who wants to dive into some sort of business they have zero experience with? Well, I think first you want to figure out if you're passionate about it. Mm hmm. You know, because I think if you talk to a lot of people in sports, they'll say, look, if, even if I didn't make millions, I'd still be playing hoops uh, around the corner. Right. Mm-hmm. And I I enjoy I enjoy the hospitality industry. I enjoy, you know, creating a restaurant and I enjoy the challenge of it. Um, <clears throat> I, of course, the more you can educate yourself and, and have facts in hand, the better. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, I think it just, you, you need to have determination. Like you could be the most talented person. You could have all, I think a lot of times you'll see chefs who totally. make the greatest whatever, right? And somebody says, oh my God, that's the greatest apple pie I've ever tasted. You should open a bakery. Mm, I don't know about that. Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you should partner with a business guy and you guys do it together. Definitely. Um, 
But I think trying to, and I'm not saying be a jack of all trades, but you need to have an, a, at least a broad understanding of the entire uh, business. Right? Totally. So if you're a chef, it's great that you know how to cook all these things, but do you know how to, um, you know, train people? Do you know how to, uh, you know, have your set up accounting and so on and so forth. Like, sure. Again, I didn't, but I figured it out. Um, but I think, I think that's probably part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think if, uh, if anything I learned to, for any businesses, combining talents is a really smart practice, you know, unless you have the, the, the determination like you did, which few people have the determination to do whatever it takes. Cause a chef is very, they're almost like an artist, you know? So sometimes their brain just doesn't think that way. So a good chef partnered with a great business operator, yeah. a restaurant operator is a, is a good idea. Um, but I think um, what you've done with Bref Breakfast Republic, Fig Tree, and just your whole company, because I want to get on Rise and Shine after this, is blaze a trail in the breakfast industry, at least in Southern California, and maybe even would be categorized as like the pioneer of how breakfast now is replicated. There's definitely been other brands and brick and mortars who I feel like have taken similar approaches. I'm sure you've seen this. Is it true that it's a sincere form of flattery when you see imitation? Because I feel like there's been some imitation right. of your brand and right. also and also just the whole concept. I, and I love that you put breakfast becoming, um, I think you said bougie, something like that. Like people do like to go to a nice breakfast because sure. it, tradition always was the Denny's and the IHOPs yes. of the world and everybody kind of had the cafes. Is it is it a, a form of flattery like that you start seeing the breakfast industry change and evolve? It, it is. Um, I, I, it is at least once I, like, I mean, if I go into a restaurant and like one of our most popular items is our shrimp and grits. Mm -hmm. And that was never a breakfast item. That was, you go to Louisiana and you have, you know, grits. Um, but now I, I see that dish at a ton of mm. restaurants. And first I'm just like, geez, come on. Can you guys be a little bit creative? But, um, I, I think you have to think that way. You have to say it, it is flattery. Uh, it, it is um, a compliment, mm -hmm. um, but it, it goes hand in hand with being frustrating too. But I think that's just the way it is. Like, I mean, you have, you know, everything from, what was it first? There was MySpace and then there's Facebook, right? And there's, mm -hmm. so my point is like, I also take it as I need to constantly look over my shoulder because the minute I put my guard down and don't try to constantly prove, somebody's gonna run me over, mm -hmm. you know, because I was that guy. Mm -hmm. I worked at a restaurant and I said, Man, these guys, the, the, the culture and morale at this restaurant is horrible. If I ever have the opportunity to own my own restaurant, I'm going to do things differently. Mm -hmm. So I was hungry. And I know, I mean, just probably in my, um, among my employees, there's tons of people who just are saying, I wish I could have the opportunity to open a restaurant and I'm going to tweak things, this and that. Well, I need to constantly try to improve and not sit back and say, oh, we got this figured out. And like, I mean, the minute you do that and, and you know, just get too cool is, is the minute you start going downhill totally. fast, you know? So I think, I think it is, if anything, it's a reminder that you need to continuously, uh, check yourself. You need to continuously mm -hmm. improve and innovate. And there's no such thing as I've made it, you know? Totally. So I imagine that's a question you get a lot from employees and people who don't work for you is they want to start a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, are you encouraging or discouraging or you just hit them right square in the nose with, with your feedback or advice to the, um, the many people who I'm, I'm sure have approached you about it. Always encouraging, mm -hmm. always. And I've had employees come up to me and be super nervous mm. um, because they want to ask for my advice or something like that because they think I'm going to look at it as, 
oh, you're going to you're gonna leave me as an employee, da, da, da. I mean, because that's, I approached one of the owners of uh, one of the restaurants I worked at before, and he was just like, what do you mean you're going to leave the restaurant? You're not going to work for me forever? I'm like, give me a break. Be realistic. People have yeah, dreams, yeah. right? So who am I to shoot down people's dreams? I say, look, I would do nothing but encourage you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to look over a business plan or whatever, um, but I will also shoot you straight. Like, yeah, if you yeah. present me with... Uh, uh, a coffee shop, you know, that is just a funky thing. And maybe, maybe it'll make it, but I'm going to give you my opinion and I'm going to most likely tell you that you're severely undercapitalized. Like I mm -hmm. will probably tell you, don't do this until you have three times the money or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always going to be encouraging because I was that guy and I had a dream. And I think the, the last thing you should do is shoot down people's dreams, maybe give them some guidance, but yeah. Totally. So I saw one of your answers in, in an interview was in, in going off of the undercapitalization, but you said, don't balk at the expensive attorney. Go with the expensive attorney. Yeah. Does that come from, I imagine, personal experience? Massive experience. Was it early on or later? Because early on, it can be just as problematic, but when you grow to the size you're at, it also can be equally problematic. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say that it's, it's, it's early on and relatively recently like within i'd say probably two years ago i made another mistake like that mm. where it was you know i i thought i'd look through this lease or loi or whatever and i'm like i don't need to spend 1200 bucks on somebody mm -hmm. and that 1200 bucks turned out to be a forty thousand dollar mistake or something sure. whatever i mean yeah, it's just yeah. an example but but um i think it's it's important to hire professionals for the right thing just like you know, the chef who wants to open a business or like put the right people mm -hmm. in place. Like don't try to do everything. You hire the attorney to review your lease. You have the chef, you know, work on the recipes and wh whatever the, your team is. Right. But totally. I think it's important to, to let the people who specialize in whatever they do handle that particular part. hundred percent. So now obviously you've scaled and, and I want to get, I want to touch on rise and shine. Mm. Um, I think I've eaten at most, uh, most of your brands, all incredible. But I'm curious to know how you went from scaling any business, and, and especially yours, where you have different brands, different location, teams of staff, I'm sure different philosophies, cultures, keeping that all intact under one, under one roof while scaling. What's that process been like to get where you are now? And I know you're also expanding. We talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago, getting up into the LA market. Now you're hitting different like neighborhoods of, and cultures of people in different working class and Orange County. Is how has that scaling process been f coming from 08, just you inside mm -hmm. Fig Tree to now all of these yeah. coexisting brands? Um, I think some people, a lot of people will probably say, oh my God, you must be so busy, so hard. But it's actually, it, it gets easier um, the, the more you expand and the bigger your team is. I mean, assuming you can do it the right way. So for us, we've uh, specifically designed this so that we have, have a CFO who is you know, accounting and HR, we have a COO who is pretty much everything operations. Mm -hmm. And then under that, there's operations, people front of the house, back of the house. And right now, at least, we're not doing anything regional. We're doing like everybody's responsible for the stores. Now that may change when LA opens and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think, and, and it's, it's interesting that we're talking right now because COVID has helped us a lot from a, from a culture standpoint and from a team standpoint, because we were forced to lay people off. Mm -hmm. And we said, look, we can sit here and we can cry about this and, and, and bitch and moan and say, why is this happening, all this stuff. Or 
we can say, let's use this downtime because we were closed for quite yeah, a while. Yeah. And we completely revamped our employee manuals. We completely revamped our sort of internal cultural messaging and we became more efficient. We took a hard look at ourselves and realized that, you know, on Thursdays, which is our corporate meeting day, we would all meet and we would meet just to meet because that's what we've always done. Mm -hmm. But some weeks are busier than others and say, look, if we don't have a lot of important stuff to talk about. We don't all need to meet. So now there's a smaller group mm -hmm. and we said, let's stop the whole driving around just to drive and like plan out your week. Like you don't need to drive to Encinitas and back here and then Carmel Valley, totally. you know? Um, and just be more accountable, all of us. Cause I mean, if, if we have a corporate team of 12, 14 people and we all sit in a meeting for six hours, these are salaried employees. It's a pretty expensive meeting. Yeah, so yeah. if you don't get that money's worth, so to speak, let's do something better with our time, you know? And we've had to do a lot more with less people and we've figured it out and it's working great right now. So that's what I mean that COVID did as a favor. Mm -hmm. It forced us to become more efficient. I think a lot of companies are identifying that, especially when you talk Absolutely. about meetings, is mm -hmm. making sure there's a return on meetings because <clears throat> sure. the amount of time that goes into most meetings and when you stack that over the course of the entire week or month, it's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. And, and and speaking on COVID, and we try not to talk too much on COVID on here, but it's a relevant thing. It's obviously expired way past what we thought it was originally going to be from the first 15 days of slow to slow to spread. You're also sitting in hospitality, which was one of the more vulnerable industries. What's been, and I don't want to call it a takeaway because we're still kind of fighting our way out of it. Oh, yeah. But for you as a, as a whole company, um, what's been your, your, your biggest takeaway? What are you in the process of taking away from this past seven, eight months? I mean, it's been a whirlwind for everybody, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, I think, I mean, the biggest thing is just, you know, the, the efficiency thing. And we've, we've, we've really honed in on everybody taking ownership of what they do, um, not just on a upper management, like trickle down all the way down. And because, and, um, I mean, with COVID again, if one person takes off their mask or if one person does something like that, it could have a big ripple effect um, I mean, we had, uh, there was literally one uh, bartender at some point who put down their mask and like itched their nose or something like that. Um, oh, man. and there was somebody who took a picture of it and then it's like, well, they don't care. They're not wearing oh, their mask man. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, but other than that, I think, um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate cause I've always looked for big patio space. Mm -hmm. Not because I was <laughs> predicting a pandemic, yeah. but it's been great for us now because we're able to seat. We've we've clearly lost seating, but not to the extent that some other restaurants have lost. I think. Mm. Um, but um, I think too. I think it brought out for us. It, it really showed who our true core, you know, team members were. Mm -hmm. That really said, "Look, I'm in it. Don't worry. Like I, I know we're gonna have to reduce salaries for a while and stuff like that. But I'm in this. Da da da. And some didn't, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but coming out of it, or or hopefully coming out of it soon, or on the way there, I think our team is way more tight now than it was before. Totally. Is there something in particular? Um, I know I, I said you're, you're moving into the L.A. Orange County market. Is there something right now on a day to day you personally, your role in the company that you're the most fired up about what you're what you guys are working on? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's definitely growth. Um, and it's I, I'm a deal junkie. <laughs> and I I that's probably the aspect of my job that I like the most is structuring a deal and negotiating and stuff like that. And 
I mean, there's going to be tons of opportunity in the wake of this pandemic. There already is yeah, things yeah. you're seeing and just, you know, trying to plan out like, I, you know, you don't want to bite off more than you can chew, but it's still very exciting. I mean, we have multiple LOIs in LA and, and here in San Diego right now going on. And uh, we're definitely going to see some good growth after this. Um, uh, but, you know, it's... Um, the old junkie, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's to some extent, it's... I talked to a lot of people about this in, in, who are entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, you, you're a deal junkie because you can't, like, oh, my God, look at this. I have to structure it as, and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I got to get that one. There's another one there. And, and part of me, it's also like a competitiveness too, right? Where yeah, yeah. if I don't get it, somebody else... And, and I have to really check myself because before you know it, then I'm getting seduced by the deal and it's so important not to look past your, you know, core fundamental uh, decision points, right? So for us at Breakfast Republic, like we really don't want to be over 2,500 square feet. We mm. don't want to be in line. We want to be, you know, a corner or standalone. Uh, we want to, you know, all these things. Yeah, and yeah. if somebody presents you with a deal where, look, the rent was this before and it's this now, it's easy for, for a second to just say, oh, let me, let me do that deal right away mm -hmm. and skip the fundamentals. And that's something where I'm, you know, constantly checking myself, mm -hmm. no matter how sexy this deal looks or how good of a job that broker's doing it, selling it, that this is a once in a lifetime space and it's not been available for 25 years. You got to jump on it. Okay, well, that's fine, but let's just run these numbers first and make sure. Totally. And, and if not, thank you, but no thank you just sit back and be patient. Like things will come, you know? Totally. That's probably the one thing that I've had to work on the most. That's, this is a perfect timing for this question because you, you mentioned something right before we turned the cameras on. Uh, and with everything now learning that you have going on and all the moving parts of your, your businesses, you said you slate three months a year, non-negotiable for a vacation. And I think this is really important for people to hear and understand, you sure. know, how that's categorized for a guy as busy as you as non-negotiable. And, and in fairness, you're pulling it off. You just got back from Brazil and Sedona is how, how you build that into your everything else going mm -hmm. on. And you, in addition, I, I give credit to, cause I, one of my partners has a wife and, and kids and that's a whole nother set of obligations, responsibilities I, that I don't have. So I like to understand too, like you have that, you yeah. have your work life while also you're making a non-negotiable. I travel is how, how people can wrap their head around, yeah. around that. Because I think it's really, really important. Yeah. I, there's several parts to it. One is just exactly that, making it non-negotiable. And two is, is, I think one trait a lot of entrepreneurs has is probably being a perfectionist, mm -hmm. but getting to a point where you trust your team mm. and knowing that, you know, if something happens and, and you know, you can't be there, you say, just, just make whatever best decision you can. And odds are that it's going to be probably the same decision I would have made. Mm -hmm. But just letting go of that is a huge step to just say, okay, make, make the decision, whatever you think is right. Like, like it sounds easy to say, easy to say but for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah, and and yeah. it took me some time. So that's one. And it's funny too, that, you know, how many emergencies and, you know, chaotic situations just kind of figure themselves out when you hit that airplane button, the airplane mode on your phone, or mm -hmm. you're on another, in another continent, uh, and then you get a recap of it later saying, hey, we had a fire, or we had this or that happen, but then it's followed by, and here's how we solved it, yeah. right? If, 
Because if I would have been here, I clearly would have gone and this and that and done something. But again, most of the times uh, it, it works itself out. And we talked about Tim Ferriss. I mean, I remember specifically from his book, he talks about that saying, you know, it's emergencies just somehow figure out, figure themselves out. And they're, they're not emergencies because I didn't answer my phone. And mm-hmm. two days later, they, they worked themselves out. I think we've just become to, to the point, not to cut you off with the airplane mode. It's so important. We've just become so accessible. Mm-hmm. We now have, there's like no way it's almost impossible not to get a hold of someone. If I can't text you, I can call you. If I can't call you, I can yeah. email you. If I can't email you, I can DM you on Instagram. If I can't, like, there's so many ways yeah. that we have to, like, whether it's traveling to another continent or even in a staycation, you have to become inaccessible yeah. sometimes. Otherwise, you're going to lose your mind. Yeah, for sure. And the traveling thing went back to just, I mean, I made a conscious decision that I I love traveling and I'm not going to let my you know work schedule stop that. So it was the, the, the traveling comes first and then I figure out work. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say for most people it's the other way around. Totally. I'm going to work and I need to get all this done and hopefully I can squeeze in travel or a workout or whatever that situation is. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of a fundamental switch in your mind that you mm-hmm. have to make, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you can still do stuff like I'll... You know, my wife likes to likes to sleep in on the uh, you know on vacations. So I'll get up at five a.m. and I'll answer emails for a couple hours, and then yeah, yeah. you know at seven or so, we're, we'll take on the day and I'll answer the most crucial emails, and the other ones will, they'll just have to wait. Totally. Now I, I have to because this is something I'm super interested in, and I'm, I'm personally passionate about. Um, Want to hear a little bit more within Rise and Shine or each of your locations is. We talked briefly about um, bringing more of the uh, physical health and wellness and mental health and wellness to the hospitality industry, an industry that's commonly known for the opposite. You know, we talked about alcohol, drugs and all that being common is I want to hear where that, uh, you know, where that kind of stemmed from. And I'm sure like you've observed firsthand and and now managing as many employees and employing as many employees that you have. Um, what you've kind of done or when you started really turning that philosophy in, inward to right. your company? Um, well, I think the way it started first was when I worked in restaurants, I would just like everybody else go out and have a drink or two or more after a stressful night. And that was kind of just the way it was. And at some point I, I said, you know, I'm going to take my frustration out on the gym instead. And that was mm-hmm. great for me. And I'm not one to tell people how to do things, but I just put it out there as an option and, and, and say, look, why don't you try this? Why don't you try yoga or whatever? Um, and, you know, just, just having this mindset of, you know, n- there's no rule that says you have to have it this way. You know, you, you know, just because we work in the restaurant industry doesn't mean you have to get drunk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is, I think, just as you grow as a company, it's so important to be consistent with everything. Totally. And I remember vividly, this is a number of years ago, we had this, this kitchen manager who was probably the fastest like, cook I've ever seen, and, but he was a horrible uh, manager in terms of how he treated people and inconsistent, and one day he'd be in a good mood when he wouldn't. Um, but he thought he, he felt like he walked on water because he was so good at the... the, the, the the cooking part sure yeah so there was something that happened and he talked down to somebody i think it was a female employee and we had a meeting with we said look this is a first and last warning this is we don't tolerate this um you know if it happens again we're going to terminate your employment 
And I think his his mindset was, well, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm too valuable to this company. Irreplaceable. Well, fast forward a few weeks, it happened again. It was just cut and dry. We went in and said, here's your final paycheck. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you. But we, this is something we cannot tolerate. And he was shocked. And what happened there was it sent a very clear message through the entire organization that they put respect and how you treat people above mm -hmm. whether you can cook those eggs fast or not. Mm -hmm. And um, that is, I mean, that's huge, you know? And I think that that goes back to the whole thing of we have a zero tolerance on drinking at work and stuff like that. Again, I'm not gonna get into your business after work, but if, if we're talking, I will, I will encourage you to try something else. Yeah, I yeah. will encourage you to, if, if, if gym is not your thing, meditate or go do something, mm -hmm. but maybe try to not uh, just resort to alcohol, you know? For sure. Do you have any radical practices you do? Like, are you a devout yogi? Are you, do you have any, like, what, it could be physical, could be, I know you mentioned meditation. Is there anything, like, radical that you do that that, that might be a non-negotiable? Uh, no, I mean, I think my traveling is probably the most radical. Like, it's, mm. it's you know, I'm a pretty busy guy. And when I say travel three months, that's the very minimum. Like, mm. a lot of times it's more. And I'll take, you know, trips where I'm traveling for three months at a time, you know. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it's, that's probably what I would consider as the most radical thing I do. Because that's how I clear my mind and I get a lot of inspiration from seeing other cultures and just as a human being seeing I've been to about 85 countries and Damn. you go to these places you, you you realize how good we have it here and it, it's I I find myself you know thinking of that a lot whenever you get this itch to complain or oh, geez do I have to do this or that look you have there's nothing I have nothing to complain about mm -hmm. like Legitimately, I can't. There's nothing I should complain about because there's people out there who have it so bad, and we just hit the lottery because we were born in this country or this that. Like we could have just as well been born in, you know, a war-torn country somewhere, and you would have been screwed. You know? Yeah, definitely. That's interesting. I'm sure it's a it's your regular dose of gratitude going to places like that. Yeah, which is huge. I mean, some like I love books and movies. Like my favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. You know, because mm. you have this guy who's just you know, innocently thrown in jail or Count of Monte Cristo, any of these. Like, I, I love those stories because it it just, to me, puts things in perspective. And it, it just it, it forces me to be grateful for what I have and to not take it for granted and just try to, like, today is, today is all we have. And, mm -hmm. you know, and try to just be present, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's interesting, man. And so I... We're right here landing the plane on the conversation, and this was incredible. And typically I end up the same question in all the last 29 episodes, but we kind of covered it with, uh, you know, talking about someone early on, not knowing what they're doing, getting into business is how we end this. So I had a pivot on episode 30 of a question for you because you've built a, a really, really successful business or businesses and still managing personal life. You have a beautiful wife, kids, all that. Is, is there anything that you wake up or anything you're afraid of or fear? Business life, personal life, is there anything that you have that you would classify as, because I think some people might look at someone as successful as you and well-rounded as you and be like, oh, you're fearless. You know, is there anything that you would say you fear? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say in, in, in regards to business or anything like that, but it's funny because somebody asked me 
in Sedona, we had this little uh, retreat and we were talking about a lot of things. And one of the questions is, you know, what's something you're, you're scared of? And to me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not scared of making mistakes because I think you can turn those into learning experiences and so forth. But um, I, I guess it, it is, especially with what's going on in the world today and, and you know, how, how especially um, African-Americans are treated differently and so forth. Mm-hmm. So for me, it would be, you know, somehow maybe being, you know, wrongfully accused or prosecuted or something like that of something mm-hmm. you didn't do, especially in today's social media world with how things can be distorted easily. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's probably something I think about a little bit here and there where, you know, and fake news and all that stuff where something can be taken out of context mm-hmm. and it's, it's not really these days about the truth necessarily. It's perception is the reality. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're right. And I would say that makes me a little nervous at times um, because you can be defenseless sometimes about stuff like this. So it's probably, I think that's a, that's a fair fear, especially the, the more you grow, um, it almost seems like the more tar- bigger target yeah. you have on your back, yeah. which is an easier opportunity yeah. for someone to skew the perception. Yeah. Because it's it's something, it's, it's out of my control. Yeah. I can control the decisions I make and I can own those. And if I make a bad mistake, so what? Like I, I did it, it's okay, I'll, I'll, I'm fine with it. But if it's something that's out of your hands, uh, you know, that you can't control, uh, again, especially in today's world, that could, uh, that could make me a little nervous. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, man, this was a pleasure. I'm glad we worked this out. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we got you on. Um, I know how busy you are. Again, I'll end and say thank you for taking time. My pleasure. Uh, I'd like to say we'll, we'll do a follow-up at one of your locations, but we're there all the time. So nice. Thank you. Um, we'll, post, we'll post and send it to you when we're awesome. at one of your locations. But uh, no, man, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah.